Welcome, you're listening to Poldark Podcast, a fan-created podcast where we discuss all things Poldark Saga. Before we begin this week's show, let us introduce ourselves. I'm Michelle, I live in the state. You can find me at Poldark Muses on Tumblr and I tweet at Musings. Hi, Delanda here, I live in France. I blog on Tumblr at British Lisso and tweet at Delanda Dia. Hello, I'm Rita. I live in England. I Tumblr at Princess of Podak and I tweet at Rita Bites. In this week's podcast, we will be recapping and discussing episode 2 of season 4, which aired this past Sunday on BBC One. As ever, spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't been able to see the episode in question yet, because we tend to go pretty in-depth. Come back when you've seen it. The rest of you, strap yourselves in and brace yourself for a recap. The episode begins with the Poldark fam plus Garrick walking along a cliffside as they are wont to do when a London Totoro coach conveniently drives past. Jeremy, who can suddenly talk now, yay, asks how far London is. Cue a wistful look shared between Ramelza as they discuss London being the quote end of the earth. Bit of an exaggeration. It's almost as if they know Ross is on the next coach out of there. Hashtag foreshadowing Podoc star. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hugh is still sick. His uncle, desperate for his swift recovery in time for the election, dismisses Dwight's services in favor for everyone's favorite butcher, Dr. Choke, who we haven't seen in years. <laughs> oh, hello. Welcome back. Hi. <laughs> we missed you. Our aim is to bring down the fever, reduce the putrid humours, and cause an intermission in the excessive action of the blood vessels. We'll proceed first with blistering, thereafter with purging, vomiting, poulticing, and bleeding. Now, we might not be Hugh's biggest fans, but we wouldn't wish these treatments on our worst enemies. It's the Feast of St. Saul, which means it's time to party down. But before we get started, Dwight has some news to announce. I very much regret to announce an Ennis Penvenin offshoot. A child! Oh, Judas, that's wonderful! <laughs> and entirely your fault, you would insist on bringing me home. Of course, I don't want the brat. Oh, she don't mean it. No, she means it. Really? I cannot bear babies. Wrinkled, greedy, red-faced little tyrants. Oh, truly, though. Will it not be wonderful for us all? Cue the Paul Anka again. No, no, wait, sorry. We gotta move on. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot to cover. So, uh, it seems that Caroline is less interested in her pregnancy than she is on doing some political maneuvering, and she enlists Demelza's help. Between them, with a little subterfuge, they manage to get Lord Falmouth and Sir Francis in the same room where they agree that instead of fighting over the two of the burrows, it would make far more sense to pick one each. For fuck's sake, men, they couldn't figure this out years ago? Anyway. I know! <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, anyway, their shared distaste over George convinces them to agree to this compromise, but that means Lord Falmouth is going to need a new MP. Hugh is far too ill to stand. Hmm. I wonder who he's going to ask. Remember Polly? The guy that talks like the pirate from SpongeBob SquarePants? Oh, yeah! yeah. 
<laughs> Mr. Tully. Mm-hmm. Well, he's back and he's been placed in charge of entertainment for the feast. Who thought that was a good idea? And has decided on some good old-fashioned Cornish wrestling. Tom Harry uses this as an excuse to challenge the Corn Boys, which seems fair since they're like half the size, but anyway. Um, Emma offers her soul up as the price and Sam's ears perk. Insert Scooby Noise here. <laughs> he accepts the challenge. <laughs> Never missing an opportunity to get into a rivalry, Ross and George wager against each other's men in the wrestling match. The winner will pay the money to the new charitable hospital in Truro. Wait, wait, when, wait, when did that happen? Carla was at the pub. That was this whole thing. Oh, all right. Okay. I mean, to be fair, you can just tune out. They've had about a billion of these chats. That's true. So, (laughs) Ross gives Sam some wrestling lessons. BTW, in the book, Sam was a former wrestling champion and would have eaten Ross alive. But because the show is desperate to make Ross another hero... Hey! (sighs) Uh, (laughs) I'm just saying, it's movie Hermione all over again. Oh, God, I hate that trope so freaking much. But anyway, Sam has to fumble through his lessons with Ross... Afterwards, Demelza gets to nurse Ross's sore and aching bones in yet another bath scene. Hashtag swoon. There is gigging. There was kissing. We loved it. More of this, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. Suddenly, it's the day of the feast. And after Ross is forced to attend church, hashtag petulant child, everyone gathers around for the wrestling match. On my left, we are Tom Harry. Am I right? Sam Carr! The match is the best of three bouts, and although Tom is much larger, Sam manages to leverage that against him and win the first bout. This pisses off Tom, and in the next bout, he starts playing dirty, digging his nails, ew, into Sam's face. Ew. Uh, and slamming him into the ground, worrying Emma. In the final bout, Tom tries to go for the face claw again, but Sam pushes him off. So he goes for another dirty tactic. You're welcome to our soul, brother. I'm already harder, body. And that disgusting (laughs) mental image distracts Sam long enough for Tom to slam him into the ground. That was revolting. (laughs) Um, So, the winner is Tom Harry, and Emma looks freaked. The feast continues. Jeremy and Valentine meet and play, and it is the most effing thing ever, like freaking out their respective mothers. (laughs) Elizabeth, disgusted by the way Tom Harry is behaving, encourages George to fire him. And Drake and Marwana try to hold a conversation before being interrupted by Ozzy. But I mean, who cares? Dwight receives a letter from Lord Falmouth, who has dismissed Choke for suggesting trepolation. For those of you unfamiliar with that, that involves drilling a freaking hole through a skull. A hole in his skull. Bonkers. (laughs) Dwight can't really heal Hugh though but at least he's not doing that to his skull he calls for Demelza and Ross hoping Demelza's visit will lift his spirits 
Demelza's visit this time mostly consists of her sitting around while Hugh pretends to sleep, but he manages to pass her a letter. Of course. Sneaky, sneaky. Of course. Meanwhile, Lord Falmouth calls Ross into his study to ask him yet again to stand for election. Haven't we been here before? Yep. This time, after thinking it through and talking with Demelza and getting her support, he decides to stand. And we're all like, finally. <laughs> George starts off the episode certain that he will be re-elected, but Sir Francis Bassett keeps fobbing him off. He hopes to win despite this lack of support, doing what he and Cousin Carrie do best, calling in favors and threatening people. Cue the best scene in the entire episode. George and Elizabeth have Morwenna and Ozzy around for lunch. Oh, you have not heard. Armitage is sick. Falmouth was obliged to choose another candidate. Oh? And who might... Poldark! Poldark of Nampara! Myself. I should have thought him too much of a rogue. But no doubt he thinks to turn his notoriety to some account. Are you sure you have the right person, Ozzy? Gad, yet. I had it from my tailor, who had it from Sir Hugh Bedrogan, who said, Poldark in Parliament shall provide more backbone than wishbone. <laughs> oh. My. God. Christian Brassington, we are not worthy of your performance. It was pure comedy gold. Best line ever, and you delivered it with perfection. Um, George, who immediately starts doing that chin-jutting thing whenever Ross is mentioned, <laughs> um, immediately goes into panic mode, and Elizabeth decides to help him out by using her family connects to sway some votes for him. When the Poldars get home from Tregopnan that night, Demelza goes to read Hugh's poetry. When I am gone, remember this of me, that earth of earth or heaven of heaven concealed, no greater happiness than was to me revealed, my favor of a single day with thee. <laughs> Ross, of course, finds the letter. And we doubt that he's that surprised at how poor the pros are, but when Demelza returns to their room, he reassures her not to worry about the nomination, that George will win the election, and he will stay in Cornwall, and he will live. Ross, please do not become a fortune teller, please. Lord Falmouth sends for Demelza and Ross again. And while Ross and Dwight watch for swans float past, Demelza visits with a worsening hue. He uses the opportunity to try and flirt with her, and Demelza has no choice but to shoot him down. In spite of how I care for you, and all that's between us, it is not in my power to give you what you seek. Finally! This sufficiently dampens his will to live or something, and he dies. R.I.P. we guess? Not really. Emma approaches Drake and Demelza and asks them why Sam let Tom Harry win the wrestling match. Maybe you don't want to win you that way. If he'd won, would you have kept to your side of the bargain? Of course. Well, could he not still? I'm afeard. Of what? That I'd feel not. That I'd want to be saved, but I'd be led to pretending I'm saved. Do you love him? Be advised. What he believes is who he is. 
It's a very freaking short scene for Emma to have an emotional epiphany, but apparently in the 20 seconds of screen time, she does because she goes to tell Sam that she is a virgin. Awkward. And to be fair, Sam doesn't seem very bothered about it. He just wants her soul to repent or something. I don't really understand. But Emma doesn't repent. She doesn't. And so they've reached an impasse. She's going into service for a year and is going to give them both some time to think on it. And after that, if he still wish it, if, if I still wish it, we'll meet again. See how things come out. See, see if there'll be any change. There'll be none from me. And then they kiss. <laughs> Something Rita has waited the entire last series for. Uh, time for the election. Um, it's a close one with George starting off strong, but Ross eventually wins after Sir Francis Bassett votes sways the rest of the voters. He, he did not defeat me. Prejudice defeated me. Privilege has closed ranks and chosen to forget the misdemeanors of his past. And I, who have worked tirelessly within the law, given money to all sorts of worthy causes, am regarded with contempt because my ancestry is inferior to his. What a magnificent speech from Jack Farthing. Meanwhile, Ross accepts his congratulations from Falmouth and is informed that Hugh has died. Meanwhile, Ossie sucks another prostitute's toes like he is a starving man and her toes are an everlasting gobstopper. Oh, my gag! Uh, on his way home, he bumps into Rowella. It turns out she wasn't pregnant after all. What do you know? Mm-hmm. And she gives him one of her coy smiles so you know a game is afoot. <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yes. Um, Ross returns home to discover Demelza is missing. Prudy, only now receiving the news of Hugh's death, encourages Ross to let her grieve on her own for a while. Smash cut to a weeping Demelza seeking comfort with her BFF Caroline, but then returns home to Ross where they have yet another intense fireside chat. This thing came upon me unawares. I I never sought it. I, I never thought there was a place in my heart for any but you. But somehow, somehow... You came to love him. Not love. Not love such as we, such as, as you and I. No love could match that. Yes, he, he did touch my heart. And now? And now I feel as if my heart is broke. Not as it was with Julia. And my tears are like blood from a stone. I dare not let them fall. And now they fall like summer rain. And not only for Hugh, it's for her. 
and me and and all that's wasted and and broken and lost in this world. Save some tears for me. For I believe I'll need them. <laughs> this hurt. It will mend. In this sad, sorry, broken world. Will that mend too? It will mend it, Ross. Will you? Ross tells her he won the election and now everything will change. The episode ends with Ross saying goodbye to the kids and kissing Demelza goodbye before getting on a coach for London. Dun dun dun! The end. Where will it go? <laughs> to be continued. It's going to London, people! Yay! Yes! So, uh, really quickly, what did you guys like this episode? Delonda? I loved it! I loved it! Because for once, I really felt like all characters, without exception, all characters got more or less equal screen time. I mean, amazing. I really loved this episode, too. I think, I think the pacing of the first half was a bit too quick. But when it settled down towards the end and we got these uh, longer drawn out conversations between Ramelsa and Sam and Emma, I was just all hooked. I thought it was brilliant. And I think I kind of prefer it slightly to even last week's excellent episode. Well, I think by the time we get to the end of the podcast, you will all discern a theme here. Um, I was kind of meh about the episode, to be honest. Um... You know, Rita, as you mentioned, they moved through the material so quickly that I didn't find a lot of the scenes to be all that satisfying. Um, and I am having, I have to admit, I'm having an incredibly difficult time walling off the original material in my mind palace. Again, <laughs> the hashtag struggle is back. Oh my God, the struggle is so freaking back and it's really, really real. I mean, there were, there were aspects of the, of the episode that I really liked. Um, but I, it just didn't seem to grasp into the events that were happening. It seemed to just be kind of like a stone skipping over the activity that was going on. And we started getting back into the weird pole dark time weirdness. Um, you know, yeah. it was like, you know, we, we see Demelza and Ross racing off to go see Hugh. Uh, they do their thing. And then the next thing we see, we see Demelza and, um, uh, her brother. What's his name? Drake. Uh, you know, walking along with the kid and running into Emma. And it was like, okay, what, what day is it? Where are we? It is best to let go of time and space when you're in Polar. True. Just let it float over True you. that. But do you think that they killed the Hugh too quickly? No. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he should, like, we've got to the end of um, the Force Ones now. Yeah. He needs to be dead. Yeah. And uh, so let's talk about Ross. So why do you guys think he wants to become an MP now? What's changed for him? Um, I think it's a culmination of the disparity between rich and poor that he's experienced, you know, you know, going all the way back to series one, um, the hanging that took place where he saw Zaki lose his son and the, 
the emotional toll that it has taken on his friend. Um, I think that that was probably the, the straw that broke the camel's back. For me, I just find it the way that he flitted back and forth from the final of season three, where he made that stupid, I've decided to join oh, the parliament speech at that riot, to this, oh like, this God. is only like two episodes later and he's reluctant again. It's confusing. And I think I'm still having a bit of trouble letting go of the weird season yeah. three characterization. It definitely feels like we're in an alternate universe now. I'm like, what? Yeah. What what this does is it, at least for me, just goes to show how clumsy season three was. And I think that yeah. that's, that's the word that I've come to kind of think of when I think of just how odd and the flow in series three was it was just clumsy let's not think of season three anymore yes that please was a dark time. season three is dead yes it's like judd we will never see it again yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see okay so demel's explanation of her tears for hugh mentioned julia does that make sense to you uh, no, it doesn't for me. Uh, I was completely what the effing, to be honest. I mean, I would like to understand how you compare the loss of your first child to the loss of a lover that you've known for like a few months, maybe, or a few years. Who knows with Paul Uh If someone can explain, I'm all ears. Well, I don't think she equates them both so much, or I'm hoping she's not equating them both, uh, so much as the loss of Hugh brought up a lot of feelings she had not dealt with after Julia's death. Like, if you remember, she had maybe about an hour between learning of Julia's death to grieve before Ross got arrested on that clifftop, so I don't think she really ever processed her feelings then. And for me, uh, grief and the fear of mortality is just a hugely important theme in The Angry Tide, which we're about to approach, and hopefully the season will reflect that. I think the inclusion of Julia in their discussion was actually very insightful because it's not originally part of their discussion in the books. Because I think a lot of the problems in the Romelza marriage first started after her death. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Julia's death was the death knell for Romelza's early days of love. Um, and it was the moment the separation between Ross and Demelza began. Um, you know, I will continue to argue until my last breath that Ross uh, was never really truly given the opportunity to express the grief he experiences, and it's one of the many things that start him down the path towards Elizabeth. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me if uh, Demelza also wound up having to shelve, you know, some of her feelings for um, Julia's death. Um, uh, only to have them manifest uh, now that she has lost Hugh. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you think the show has ended Sam's characterization? Like, does it differ from your memory of the books? I'm just going to sit back and let Miss Rita have the floor. Thank you very much. This Proceed. Has obviously been something that I've mentioned a lot, but it really came to a head to me in this episode. I think... The fact that they never mentioned Sam's backstory is a huge disappointment. 
because to me at least it's the key to understanding him as a character hashtags in the books sam used to be a bad boy i mean he drank he wrestled he was like the most resistant in in his family to his father's methodism and he only became born again christian following the tragic death of his neighbor and this girl he fancied i don't like her so i don't care um I think if they injected just just a few sentences into the conversation mentioning that, it would add so much pathos to what is essentially a caricature of a Methodist on this show. That's what the show kind of portrays him as. I think Tom York is injecting depth, but I still think the writing and dialogue doesn't really reflect, reflect the fact that Sam has other interests outside of God. It's literally all he talks about. I mean, his compassion for other people in the novels was really inspiring, and it was not limited to the salvation of their souls. And he was well-respected in the community because he did so much good for people. Like, he was very similar to Ross in that respect. And he's just being underwritten on the show. And I was just, like, so annoyed... And disappointed that they didn't mention the wrestling thing and his past with it in the show. Because to me, it really reflected the fact that he and Emma were probably more similar than you would have assumed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Delanda, it has been very disappointing in the adaptation. Um, uh, Tom York is doing the best he can with the unidimensional writing that, that he's been given. And, you know... We could have had opportunities to have more um, story infused into uh, the series about Sam and his past and everything. But, you know, we just needed one more scene of Drake and or Morwenna staring out off the cliffs and sighing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, we can't even, we can't even talk about time restrictions because the show is an hour long, which is uh, very enough. So, um, last year, for example, we had so many Drake and Morwenna scenes, and this year they could have um, shifted the focus on uh, Sam and Emma. And from what you said, Rita, it's like his character did a 180 since uh, he was a at first, a bad boy. That's That's such a shame because I'm sorry if uh, some guys are, some people are just going to curse me for this, but I think Tom York is much more charismatic than uh, Harry Richardson, that's his name. Oh um, my god, like yes. So much more to give. Oh. I feel like he has so much more to give than uh, just, uh, you know. I got some... so many messages this week that were like, oh, I just realized that Tom York is attractive. And I was like, uh, what? It's like, what? It's like where the f- what? where the hell have you been? Where have you been? in the background. Like, come on. Come to the party. <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay. Let's talk about storylines. Uh, first, something near and dear to my heart. Romelza. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I know we were a bit worried after reading the episode description last week. There was a lot of, oh, God's dear Lord knows. Um, but... I think Hugh's death causing problems in their marriage was handled quite well. I think the way they wrote it this week was almost perfect. There were moments where Ross looked really, really hurt, but he didn't say anything or act on that. And instead, 
took the opportunity to comfort and reassure like a very distressed Amelza, which I think is really, really in character for Ross. I think he's going to, again, internalise all that hurt and emotion, classic Ross, and let it fester inside of him as he goes off to London. And that's when I think we'll see his real response to the whole Hugh and Amelza situation. Like, in a weird way, I'm super looking forward to the next part of this relationship because I think the conflict feels organic and genuine rather than the -the over-the-top melodrama and bickering of season three. Yeah, I love that they're now portraying a much more mature couple uh, that actually communicates. And uh, I personally loved when Ross um, took Hugh's last letter to read it, uh, when Demelza escaped the room... uh, to care for the kids and thinking that he would not find it. And uh, it led directly to an actual heartfelt conversation, which I didn't think we would get. Um, And I don't remember seeing them uh, disconnected since uh, season two. And uh, for once, there was not a single moment when I didn't want to punch Ross. And uh, in fact, I was very much surprised when he uh, let his wife have one last moment alone with you, although it was a bit disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I think given the you know, the melodramatic bickering that uh Rita you mentioned in series three, um it's not surprising that you were surprised when he let Demelza, you know, have this moment alone with Hugh. Um I, I, because we had all of that crazy bickering instead of what actually happened hashtag in the books um as the thing with Hugh was developing you know they were talking about what was happening as it was developing um and so Ross was being very supportive and understanding and you know conciliatory uh with Demelza about the the whole Hugh thing uh and he doesn't know that anything has happened between the two of them until Hugh is sick they go to visit him and you know it's raining so they hang up their clothes to dry um Ross finishes his conversation with Falmouth and goes back upstairs to change into his clothes, and a letter falls out of Demelza's pocket. And that's when he reads the poem that makes it very clear that something indeed has happened between the two of them. He doesn't talk to Demelza about Hugh, the, the, the relationship or anything like that at all after that moment. And it's really you you see the anger and I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit when he learns that you know Hugh has died he gets home Demel's is not there and he is absolutely furious and hurt and um you know he's saying things that you know we all say whenever someone we love has hurt us you know we usually talk absolute shit about them uh and um you know so it just 
I don't recognize his character of Ross any longer, <laughs> you know, and you know, they've made him really super supportive and understanding after he learns or has a really strong feeling that his wife has cuckolded him. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm guessing the reason they've done this is so things will be more dramatic when he gets to London um, and he has this time of separation away from Demelza, which gives him the opportunity to stew on what has occurred so that he's, you know, winds up sliding into Rage Ross again, which I really don't want to see. Um, yeah, I, I shouldn't be surprised that the series has, uh, has tendencies towards slipping into melodramatic soup, but, um, you know, I, I has a sad, I do, I has a sad. Let's talk about something that just cheers everybody right up. You died! Yes! <laughs> yes! Uh, before we start, I just have to give a, sh a shout out to Josh Whitehouse because his deathbed performance this week was great. <laughs> He's a great guy. We're all sorry to see him go, but I have to say I was just like really freaking relieved when Hugh died. I'm not sure I could watch his headache stretched out any longer. Um, obviously, from reading the books, we knew it was coming, but it seemed to take forever. Oh my god. Um, I don't know if it's just Josh Whitehouse giving uh, Hugh all the sympathy. Yes, I, yes. Almost. Yes. Almost. <laughs> it is, okay. <laughs> Thanks to Michelle for confirming. But um, I almost felt sad when he was on his deathbed, because obviously we knew that the storyline was temporary and that he just represented another dark cloud um, for Ramelza. But you could tell that his death uh, sparked a certain sadness, um, especially with Prudy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Weird. Has she ever met what? him? I mean, what? <laughs> I think she had a crush on him. I I think so too. I think so too. Prudy, you sleep with him. Like leave the mouths around with it. <laughs> and uh, one last thing, I also thought it was uh, it was interesting uh, when Dwight mentioned the possibility of Hugh exaggerating the illness to attract Demelza by his side, and uh, Ross felt guilty about it. Oh, we all thought that. Yeah, you know, I, uh, it. you know, I know we're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but I will in this case. Um, Hugh was willing to use whatever he had at his disposal to get Demelza's attention. Because he's a manipulative asshole. The way the whole Hugh Armitage thing played out across both series three and, and here uh, will remain one of the biggest disappointments that I have uh, in this series. It really will. But before we go, let's all take a moment to remember Hugh's fluffy, fluffy horse. How do I say goodbye? <laughs> <laughs> That to what we um, had with the fluffy horse <laughs> fluffy horse <laughs> <laughs> shout out to the Ross politics storyline oh, I love it yeah. I'm so freaking happy Ross is finally elected so they can stop dangling that carrot in front of us my inner nerd is salivating at the thought of seeing the inner workings and manoeuvrings of the parliament I can't wait to see how the show depicts London as well I'm hoping that they have the budget to really go for it with the sets and costuming. Previews look good. 
As for the election itself, it was kind of anticlimactic after a season plus of build-up. It seemed like it was over very quickly, but I guess there were a hundred other things going on in the episode that needed to get dealt with. Because hashtag gotta rush through the good stuff! I think they just were just like, fuck this book, let's just get it done. <laughs> get on with the next one. Oh my god. I am so ready to shift focus away from Cornwall, you have no idea. Yay, London! Yay. Oh my gosh. Let's go to London. <sighs> but first, let's talk about George. George! Okay, I loved his speech about privilege. I think that while George is unquestionably a very dislikable person, God, uh, if Ross were the blacksmith's grandson with his history of run-ins with the door, let us not forget that he Mm -hmm. assaulted a customs and excise Mm -hmm. officer. Oh, yeah. There is no way in hell he would have won that election. Mm -mm. I mean, I applaud Debbie for reinforcing this constantly in the show because with George being so unlikable, it's actually really hard to remember. Uh, and it's important to understand the real dynamics at play. And it kind of humanizes George a little. Yeah, it gives you, it gives you, you know, the, the necessary backstory of, of understanding why he is as despicable as he is. Um, you know, and as much as George wants to rail against, you know, his, his ancestry and, how it must be thwarting him at every uh, turn and corner. Um, you know, it had nothing to do with the reason he lost. As we all know, you know, it's what he thinks is the reason. But, you know, he shat upon almost everybody in Cornwall. <laughs> and in order to win... All, you know, what he winds up doing is throwing his money and his power around and threatening people with uh, retracting their loans and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which basically blackmails people into supporting him. I think it's deeply naive to think it has nothing to do with it. It might not have been the motivator, because, as we said, George's a terrible person, but this is a group of, like, snobby posh boys, and they ca- you can't just trust them to treat ross and george equally uh especially because we've seen lord falmouth do basically the same thing as george uh-huh. to get away with that's it. true that's true and while we're speaking about this what frustrated me about this though was the gaping plot time <laughs> <laughs> um, what so huge you think you think about it for half a second and it doesn't make sense as we discussed in last week's episode this was a period in time where capital punishment was the standard it was a norm lord falmouth and sir francis both turning on george because he did his job as a magistrate and followed the law sentencing for what was essentially a murder <laughs> doesn't really make any sense <laughs> it's as if the show tried to inject our morality and understanding into these 18th century characters oh my god it's oh my god crazy <laughs> It's especially incongruous with frickin' Lord Falmouth. He's a freaking Tory peer. <laughs> he is going to vehemently oppose any kind of criminal sentencing reform soon. This is a bonkers way for George to lose his seat, Debbie. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> Bravo! Oh Bravo! Honest to God, Rita. You, you Preach it, girl! 
Preach it! And they need me in the script writer's room and I'm just like, plot hole, plot hole, let me draw a map for you of how this doesn't make sense. Didn't didn't (laughs) we talk about this last season where, you know, we were saying that they needed someone there to, you know, kind of rein things back a little bit? You know, it's like, okay, are we going to play this with the capital punishment being the, the, the sentence for everything? Or are we gonna wind up going down this road where, you know, all we are saying is give peace a chance? Okay. Let's talk about happier things like, uh, Sam and Emma. Oh, Sam Love. and- <laughs> Sam and Emma, um, God, I wish we had more of them. I really do because they, they were adorable together. I'm not holding my breath, but I was very happy with what I got this episode. Yes. Three whole scenes, you guys. Three. <laughs> Oh, and that um, and that last scene with the kiss, you know, that was I lovely. I didn't even think I'd get the kiss. I was like freaking out. <laughs> I was like their mouths touched each other, and I saw it with my eyes. Oh, so happy! Oh yeah. Oh God. Well, I hope we see her again soon. Okay, let's talk about him, Ozzy. Oh. <laughs> oh my I god! I never get over how amazing he is. Oh, Poldark of Nampara! Oh, that delivery was amazing. I've never seen a scene that is basically purely exposition become such a fantastic opportunity for comedy. And congrats, Christian, because he deserves so much love for the sacrifices he makes to play this role. Like, putting on all that weight. Sucking strangers' Ugh. toes. I mean, poor guy. Oh my God! Savior of the episode. Um. Well, okay. I've I've now backed away from saying, "Oh, this was just miserable." But you know, he even with the toe sucking, Christian Brassington <laughs> gave me life in every scene he was in. He was just. Oh, yes. He was absolutely fantastic. Bless the person who cast him, I mean. Uh, honestly, <laughs> oh, yeah. that person deserves a raise. Favorite scenes, you guys. Back on the positivity train. I mean, two guesses what my favorite scene was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was the Sam Emma scene, of course. The one where they're by the ocean and the air is billowing through their hair and they're looking beautiful uh ivory watched that scene like a whole bunch of times and gifted a ton but every time i see it i'm always struck by how fantastic the acting is i mean sierra's voice in particular is just so tentative and unsure which is so vastly different from how emma usually is and i just want to give her a hug and i want to thank tom and her for the amount of care and attention they clearly pay to these scenes because it really shows in the delivery. And thanks, Debbie Horsfield, for including a kiss because it wasn't in the book, so my soul needed it. <laughs> you could have given them more scenes, but I'll take what I get, I guess. <sighs> Delanda? Um, yes, uh, my favorite scenes. Uh, so the first one, and uh, as short as it was, I loved the scene uh, of Ross teaching Sam how to wrestle um, to beat Harry. Um, we haven't seen Ross bond with his brothers-in-law much, so it was quite an enjoyable scene. And uh, I still find it funny how Tom York uh, looks like Aidan Turner and not so much like uh, Ellen Tomlinson. <laughs> <laughs> 
neither of our brothers no, look like no, that. No, not at all. Brothers. Not at all. <laughs> um, and my second favorite scene, because I love me some intense Jack Farthing, um, the scene uh, where he mentions his social status as a constant liability. Um, besides Elizabeth, I think this is his ultimate weakness, and there's something so thrilling about seeing George crack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was yeah. that was delightful. And for once, he wasn't like he wasn't like, oh my god, Ross ruined my life. It was like um, the scene where um, we had Jeremy and Valentine playing. Oh yeah. Oh, it was first of all the those kids are adorable, um, and yeah. I loved little Jeremy with his wee bitty tricorn. <laughs> During the wrestling scene, <laughs> and you could hear him say, "Come on, Uncle Sam!" It, that was really awesome. And he did a fist pump. Did you guys see that? I During did one it. of this, yeah, he does this fist pump, and it was kind of like, okay, maybe not so 18th century, but oh my god, it's so cute. Uh, so cute. Um, but yeah, the the scene where the two of them are playing and they're obviously enjoying one another, and just the looks on their respective mother's faces were priceless. It was like, oh my God, let me stop this now. They both kind of slink over and it's like, mm-hmm, yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm, come on. Okay, least favorite scene. Um, I could have done without the Drake and Moena scene. Like, it's bringing nothing to the table. We get it. They still like each other. Instead, I could use someone telling Drake to move on. Maybe give him a smack around the head. <laughs> yep, same as Rita. Hashtag end up with a teenage rom-com. Three out of three. Three out of three. That was just kind of like, oh my god, no, go away now. Uh, But I will say, I will say one thing. Seeing them all in, on the Saul set reminded me of me walking around there. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I was sitting there watching it going, yep. There's the cat. Yep, and there's that. And oh yeah, I know where that is. It, it was that was really pleasant. And finally, how many tricorns would you give this week's episode out of five, Delonda? Uh, I would give it a five out of five because it's cold <gasps> dark and nothing's ever perfect. Uh, three out of five. Sorry, not sorry at all. I would be saying five out of five too. But I had a few nickels here and there with regards to Sam's characterization, so I'm going to have to go with four. Maybe four and a half. I'm going to go with 4.5, uh, despite it being probably one of my favorite episodes since season one, and just for having Ooh. so much delightful Sam, Emma, and Ramelza scenes. And he died. Hey! There was a fate. What's not to like about fate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. Okay, so Critics Corner. For those of you that missed last week's episode, um, we have a brand new feature on the podcast where we pick out some of the best reviews from the nation's television critics and read them so you don't have to. We're kind like that. Our first quote comes from The Telegraph's Benji Wilson. Quote, So farewell then, Hugh Armitage. Much of the second episode was spent with the handsome Hugh languishing in his sickbed as doctors covered him with leeches, bled him, and trepanned him. Well, okay, attempted trepanning took place. Alas, it was all to no avail or avail. If that was a spoiler, apologies. But think of the upside. No more of Hugh's sniveling poetry. 
And even as he carked it, he was churning out doggerel like an 18th century Dr. Seuss. It still beggars belief <laughs> that Demelza would have fallen for such a wuss. <laughs> you can see why we picked that one out. Oh, <laughs> thank you for letting me do that one. <laughs> um, Joe Barry from Digital Spy spoke what every Paul Dark fan has been saying from season one. Quote, in fact, Walt Turner, Eleanor Tomlinson, Jack Farding, and Heidi Reed may get the headlines and praise for their leading performances in Paul Dark. It's supporting performers like Christian Brassington as the vile Aussie Whitworth, Turlock Convery as British Tom Harry, and of course Billy Idney as Pretty, who bring the real color, the real life, humor, and joy to the show. Agreed. But this week's best review has to be from Den of Geeks, Louisa Mellor. Quote, it's been too long since we've had a traditional folk celebration on Poldark. Country folk skipping up to a wet log, whacking it with a ribbon on a stick. Used to be this show's <laughs> life. Back when it was all about copper auctions and Dwight overarm bowling oranges into the mouths of the needy. In the first series, not an episode went by without at least one slow motion scene of gap tooth peasants cheerfully doing the poker around a giant burning wicker man. The Feast of Saint Sol then was a welcome distraction from all the grief of late, it provided not only only beribboned sticks and the vocal stylings of MC Tholly, but also wrestling match between good and evil. Everybody who was anybody was there. Caroline Pumvenon wore a hat with two buckles. It was excitement itself. Evil one, obviously. Its emissary, Tom Harry, fought dirty and threw the godly Sam Khan. Apologies. Sam Carr! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam was wrestling for the soul of amateur girls who'd arbitrarily promised him that he could try to save it if he won. Like she was Rizzo from Greece officiating at a drag race. <laughs> <laughs> Emma's soul and all her other parts will soon to be out of Sam's reach. She's off to the South Pacific on a gap year, but she'll be back with a tan and a, pu a puka shell necklace if and when she decides she's ready to let the Lord and Sam in. Samo <laughs> <Lamo> forever. <laughs> Honestly, if you want a good giggle, go and read the rest of the review because she really nails it. Oh my god. Oh my god, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my god, how much is Emma basically Rizzo from Greece? Yes. Okay, messages. Okay. Messages. So again, thanks to everyone who joined us on Twitter while the episode was airing. We always have so much fun talking to you guys. You're all hysterical. And we even got some responses from cast members. Uh, join us next week as well at Poldark Podcast at 9 p.m. GMT. Okay, so from Twitter, Adelaide said, Last time we had an election, it was all tense and rioty, and there were posh people being lifted in chairs. Why is it now ten men and their wives in a fancy room? Is it a different kind of election? Or is it because we don't have a trial at the same time? Could be, could be. Uh, pulled our cart. And I think, I think that the, this election was really a, a special election it was something that that was happening off cycle or something like that so my guess is it just wouldn't have had the 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 same pomp and circumstance that uh we had for no the chairs yeah no chairs this time 
Uh, Poldark Heart said, I'm beginning to notice more and more the shortness and choppiness of the scenes, and they should have included a bit of the anger from Ross at the end, like it was in the books, before he eventually softens with Demelza. I mean, from the looks of the trailers, I think we will be seeing some of that anger next week. Ah, I haven't seen any of the trailers, so I'm, I'm looking forward to searching around for that. Um, plus, Sam Emma's storyline seemed a bit cut and pasted in. Hells to the yeah. Uh, no buildup. We've not seen Emma for a hot minute, and then all of a sudden she's giving her whole self up as a prize in a wrestling match. Nice to see Sam flirting <laughs> and looking a bit hot, though. I mean, how very dare you. Tom York has always looked hot. I mean, uh, no, but in all seriousness, I totally agree about the lack of build-up to the whole Snap Mama thing. This is why last week I was lamenting Emma not being at the hanging, because knowing the storyline was coming, I wanted to see a brief reminder for all the regular viewers who perhaps haven't watched all the Emma Sam scenes over and over again and can recite all of the lines. Um, <laughs> one way they perhaps could have gotten away with this is by briefly mentioning that Emma hadn't seen Sam in a while before offering herself up as a prize because that's actually in fact what happened. Hashtag in the books. Uh, she does it in part because she desperately wants to regain his attention. In the show it came across as really freaking random. So random. Okay, Instagram messages. So from Paul Dark, please. Brilliant. Complete contrast in atmosphere with the beginning and the end. Builds up in suspense. Laurie Mansour said, The season has been great so far. Ross and Demelza seem to be trying so hard to overcome the distance between them. I am glad to see that they are writing Demelza with more vulnerability. And finally, Loba Mama said, Ding dong, the wimp is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you guys are the best. <laughs> I got it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. On Tumblr, um, upon the northern, upon the northern shore, said people get on Ross for how insensitive and how unkind he has been to Demelza, and rightly so. He's awful sometimes. But between standing up for her brothers at the trial and helping Sam train to fight, to taking her advice on politics, and finally being so so understanding and patient as he watched his wife cry over another man. I think Ross has truly turned a corner, so, and so has their marriage. Sometimes I think we had to go through the heartaches and pain of series two and three to earn this redemption. Oh, don't hold your breath. Uh, last week, I cried out for medical professionals to write in and explain what the hell he was suffering from. And Jules kindly let us know that he succumbed to brain fever, which we saw in this week's episode. Brain fever! She said, quote, I think they mentioned this hashtag in the books. Encephalitis? Encephalitis, yes. Or meningitis, possibly, though he seems to take a rather overly long time to die, sadly. And they haven't managed to make him up to look particularly ill either. But fevers, deliriums, rashes, headaches, etc. would be symptoms. Maybe the eyesight issue is one of tunnel visions or auras. Thank you for explaining that, because I never would have got there by myself. Yay. Thanks. Okay, moving on to emails. We've had a couple. So the first one from Absolutely Addicted Paul Darkey. Well, Paul Dark Season two, ep- season 4, Episode 2 did not disappoint. I am a happy camper. Smiley, smiley. Uh, I was overjoyed at having more Caroline screen time. I thoroughly enjoyed Caroline and Dwight's announcements that she was having a baby, or as Caroline referred to it, 
the brat. <laughs> so funny and so Caroline. The enduring friendship between the Ennises and the Poldarks is very important and it is at the core of this saga. So I may be a greedy and the greedy red-faced tyrant, but I want more. We get you. Um, at Lobamama, Lobamama, uh, aka Amy, thanks for the email. Uh, this part made us lol. Random prudy related thought. Aren't the Melza and Ross afraid their kids will end up talking and drinking like Prudy due to how much time they spend with her? Next episode, <laughs> I'd love it if one or both of the kids suddenly grimace while muttering, tisn't right, tisn't fair, tisn't friendly, as they reluctantly climb the stairs after being sent to bed without their pudding. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> Oh my god, please, please, please <laughs> let that happen. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Let's have a little listen to the trailer for 403. Captain Moncadelier, how may I assist you? What may seem simple to an outsider. If only there was something I could do to augment our meager income. Dolly! Quite possibly the most perfect creature I've ever seen. Always accept what ladies have to offer. I think you no longer know me, Ross. Perhaps we no longer know each other. So Ross makes his maiden speech in Parliament and is reunited with an older Geoffrey Charles. While her husband is in London, Demelza has to deal with the fallout from a failing mine and a broken-hearted Drake. Dwight and Caroline have a daughter, but their happiness is short-lived after a shocking diagnosis. Uh, Ozzy is told a terrible secret by a dying parishioner and hopes to trade the information to George who is seeking a way to reclaim his lost political power by buying land he can corruptly control. Rebecca Front from The Thick of It guest stars. Ooh, I love her. Um, so, which storyline are you most looking forward to next week? Uh, I'm looking forward to Caroline and Dwight becoming parents. Uh, I cannot wait to see Caroline fall in love with her baby and be the amazing mother she doesn't know she can be yet. Um... <laughs> Oh my goodness. I am really, really, really looking forward to Ross um, being in London and seeing how that all winds up happening. Really excited about that. And I, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he begins to process everything that has happened between Demelza and Hugh, uh, just to kind of see where that goes. I'm quite looking forward to watching Demelza being in charge of the mine and like running operations in Cornwall, despite the fact that it was really boring in the books. I think oh my god, yes. On screen. Yeah. Uh, and I obviously can't wait to see Ross take on London. Uh, he's going to be meeting with Jeffrey Charles. I know. And did you see? Did you see the from the looks of it? Did, yeah. did you see the picture of uh, Jeffrey Charles that was posted in social? Yes, and we posted it on Instagram. Oh my! So you can all take a look at how freaking old he. I is. know it looks like he's aged. You know what? Ten years. He's of marriageable age, ladies. Yes, he um, is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Keep it to yourself. He's still underage. Okay, so we've reached the end of the show, but we'll be back next week recapping and discussing four o three. If you want to get involved, then follow us at Poldark Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you can message us on Tumblr or email us at poldarkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can be read out on the podcast. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Oh, oh. 